It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, September 12th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. As the mosquito fire continues to blaze, state assembly members keep close tabs on PG&E for their potential role in its creation. The utility giant says electrical activity occurred on one of its lines close to the Placer County fire's inception. Details ahead on the California Report. Then, National Native News examines the strained relationship between Canada's indigenous population and the British monarchy. Will anything change with King Charles now at the helm? We'll take a look at local news and weather before KVMR's science correspondent, Al Stoller, gives us the latest on our quickly changing forecast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Members of the State Assembly from San Francisco say they'll be keeping an eye on Pacific Gas and Electric's possible role in the Mosquito Fire now burning in the Sierra Nevada foothills in El Dorado and Placer counties. KQED politics correspondent Marissa Lagos reports. PG&E, which is headquartered in San Francisco, filed notice with state regulators last week, saying that electrical activity occurred on one of its lines close to the time the Mosquito Fire was reported September 6. San Francisco Assemblymember Matt Haney says if there's evidence the utility was at fault in this fire or any others this fall. I think there should definitely be hearings. But PG&E, which entered bankruptcy in 2019 after causing a series of massive wildfires, has struck a different tone with policymakers in recent years, says San Francisco Assemblymember Phil Tang. The tone is more humble. I think they have really accepted that this is something they're going to have to deal with every single year. This is not a once in a hundred years event. One example, says Ting, company leadership is now putting wires underground after years of focusing fire prevention efforts on cutting trees near power lines. Both Haney and Ting also stress climate change's role in wildfires and say PG&E's equipment is only part of the state's challenge. Ting noted that California has poured billions of dollars into wildfire prevention efforts such as vegetation management in recent years, but says finding staff to do the work can be a challenge. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. California's sweltering heat wave may be over, but bills signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom could help in future heat-ups. On Friday, the governor signed a package of legislation into law that he says will better protect Californians from extreme heat. One bill would require California environmental officials to establish a statewide heat warning system by 2025. The warning system would be the first of its kind in the country, creating a program that ranks heat events by factoring in severity and health dangers. State Attorney General Rob Bonta is co-leading a coalition of 20 attorney generals in support of new Title IX regulations that govern how schools respond to sexual misconduct. The Biden administration has proposed reversing changes made by the Trump administration, which narrowed the definition of sexual harassment on campus. In a letter to the Department of Education, Bonta and other top prosecutors say those changes exacerbated underreporting of sexual harassment and violence at both colleges and K-12 schools. California's Attorney General also asked federal officials to reinstitute a ban on publications that use stereotypes based on sex. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. Personal Capital. 
providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. One of the bills that's passed in the state legislature and is now on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk to approve or veto would offer cash benefits to unemployed, undocumented workers, currently excluded from the state's unemployment insurance program. It's an idea that not so many years ago would have been considered out of the question. But today, it's a different story. Here's KQED's Farida Javala Romero. The bill would create a one-year pilot program in 2024 offering undocumented Californians who lose jobs $300 per week up to 20 weeks. Before the state Senate voted to approve AB 2847 last month, lawmakers were given one last opportunity to voice any opposition. Members, discussion or debate? Seeing and hearing none, Madam Secretary, please call the roll. There was no registered opposition from the public either, but nine Republican state senators did vote against the bill, like Brian Daly, who represents the northeast corner of California and worries a program like this would lack enough checks and balances to prevent fraud. I will guarantee you there will be fraud in this system, and once there's the fraud, the money's gone and it's hurting California businesses. The bill does provide funding for the government to set up a documentation process for undocumented workers to prove their eligibility. It's a big job. In California, more than one million workers are undocumented, and the pandemic highlighted how essential they are in industries like agriculture, construction, manufacturing. That's why Paul Shedden supports the bill. He co-owns a company that makes guitar accessories in Petaluma. He says the tight labor market impacts the parts manufacturing companies he relies on. He says it would help small businesses like his if California made it easier for undocumented workers to stay during economic downturns. If we do take care of them, it means they're more likely in the event that they are sick or unemployed because no fault of their own to stay around so that when the economy picks up, we, we need then undocumented workers to resume those positions. They're here to do that. What you hear Shedden saying, essentially, is a growing recognition that undocumented people are an important part of California's economy. It's this reality that's led to the political sea change a bill like AB 2847 represents in Sacramento, compared to 1994, when Californians overwhelmingly voted to restrict benefits for the undocumented, says Kevin Johnson, dean of the UC Davis School of Law. With a robust economy, a robust budget, and a tight labor market, we're even more appreciative or understanding of the benefits of immigrant workers than in other times. At a summer rally in Sacramento for AB 2847, Jose Rodriguez and other immigrants called for unemployment benefits in return for the estimated $3.5 billion in state and local taxes undocumented people in California pay each year. Rodriguez spent months unemployed after the restaurant in San Rafael where he waited tables closed. Like so many undocumented early in the pandemic, his income disappeared when the economy constricted. He and his wife fell behind on rent and relied on food banks to feed their two U.S.-born kids. 
y aportamos mucho para la economía de este país. Firma esa ley, ayúdalos un poquito también. His message to the governor, we do a lot for this country. Help us a little bit as well. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. And that is the California Report from Monday, September 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The death of Queen Elizabeth II may have opened a door to a renewed relationship between the Crown and Canada's Indigenous population. The National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations says First Nations people are waiting for an apology from the royal institution for their legacy of colonization and genocide. However, she has high hopes as King Charles ascends the throne. This and more ahead on tonight's National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A federal appeals court has ruled that fishermen in Alaska's only reservation should not need state permits to fish in waters they've traditionally relied on even outside reservation boundaries. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, the decision is a significant victory in Metlakatla's decades-long fight for fishing rights. The Ninth Circuit's 28-page opinion is broad and unambiguous. The 1891 law that created Metlakatla's reservation gives tribal members the right to fish in much of southern southeast Alaska, even outside the Annette Island Reserve's boundaries. Metlakatla Mayor Albert Smith called the decision a very well-reasoned and strongly worded opinion. We're still going over it, but we're excited, grateful that the Ninth Circuit confirmed our fishing rights. The ancestors of Metlakatla's Sipshian people relocated from their former home in British Columbia in the late 19th century at the invitation of the U.S. government. In 1891, Congress passed a statute creating the Annette Islands Reserve, quote, for the use of the Metlakatla Indians. Now, that law does not specifically mention fishing rights, but the tribe argued in its 2020 lawsuit against the state of Alaska that Congress intended the Annette Islands to be a permanent self-sustaining home for the tribe and that that wasn't possible without the ability to fish outside the reservation's marine boundaries. A federal district court judge sided with the state of Alaska and dismissed the case last year, but the Ninth Circuit disagreed, as Metlakatla's attorney Christopher Lundberg explains. The key question that the Ninth Circuit resolved in Metlakatla's favor was was whether uh, Congress in 1891, when they established a reservation, also granted the community the right to fish on a non-exclusive basis in waters outside the reservation. The appeals court sent the case back to district court for further consideration. Alaska Department of Law spokesperson Patty Sullivan called the decision perplexing and disappointing in a written statement and said the state is considering whether to appeal. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. With the death of Queen Elizabeth II, there are questions about a renewed relationship between the Crown and Indigenous people in Canada. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the head of Canada's largest First Nations group says the Crown needs to apologize. Roseanne Archibald is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. She says when she met King Charles in May before he became king, she felt he was honest about wanting to be part of the solutions to problems plaguing Canada's Indigenous people. But Archibald says there must be more. There needs to be an apology by the Crown for the failures, um, and particularly for the destructiveness of colonization on First Nations people and the role of the Anglican Church and the Crown as the head of that church 
in many of those institutions of assimilation and genocide. Many First Nations people offered their condolences over the death of the Queen. Many also spoke of the complicated history with the British Crown. The Crown began entering into treaties with Canada's native people in 1701. There are now 11 treaties in Canada. Some native historians say Britain had a sense of superiority and felt it had a right to come into Canada and civilize everyone else. They say colonial policies like the residential schools are still having a harmful impact today. One of the nearly 100 calls to action from Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission was for the Crown to issue a royal proclamation of reconciliation to reaffirm nation-to-nation relations between Indigenous people in Canada and the Crown. That call has not yet been addressed. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Subcommittee for Indigenous Peoples of the United States is holding a legislative hearing Wednesday on a number of tribal land bills. Tribal leaders from California, Washington, and Kansas are expected to testify. Lawmakers will also consider amending the Indian Law Enforcement Reform Act to advance public safety in tribal communities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Strongheart's Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Activity on the Mosquito Fire grew less extreme over the weekend, but the sprawling wildfire continues to displace more than 11,000 Placer County and El Dorado County residents. Well over 2,000 individuals are working to manage the blaze. The fire, which began last Tuesday evening along Mosquito Road near Oxbow Reservoir in Placer County, is now 46,587 acres. That's 73 square miles of blaze. With 10% containment, CAL FIRE and the U.S. Forest Service said in a Monday morning incident update, nearly 6,000 structures are threatened, most of them homes, and 11,260 people are under evacuation orders, officials say. Authorities last week ordered mandatory evacuations, including the towns of Forest Hill, Georgetown, Todd Valley, Quintet, and Volcanoville. All of those orders remained in place as of this afternoon, according to the Placer County and El Dorado County Sheriff's offices. The blaze spread toward the north and the east over the weekend, fire officials said in a 7 a.m. incident report. While cooler temperatures helped moderate fire behavior that Cal Fire and the Forest Service had labeled extreme throughout last week, the fire continues to be driven by historically dry fuel moisture amid California's drought. Crews succeeded over the weekend in building containment lines on the southern edge of the fire, near Volcanoville and Quintet. The fire on Thursday jumped the middle fork of the American River, sending flames into those two El Dorado County communities and destroying some homes. As of Monday morning, Ubinet reports increased fire behavior is anticipated as the day wears on. 
This is in part due to southwest airflow, driving the fire upslope and into canyons. Deadwood Ridge, Chickenhawk Ridge, Ralston Ridge, Long Canyon, Middle Fork American River, and Rubicon River are all areas of concern. The extremely dry vegetation, stressed by the record-breaking September heat wave, will generate even more heat as it burns, which will lead to more mixing and airflow. Just past 1 p.m. today, the Placer County Sheriff issued a message for Michigan Bluff community residents, saying, If you're a resident of the Michigan Bluff community in Forest Hill and live south of the intersection of Michigan Bluff Road and Chickenhawk Road, please call 530-886-5390 to speak to a representative for updated information. Once again, that's 530-886-5390. The cause of the mosquito fire remains under investigation by CAL FIRE and the Forest Service. As we heard earlier on the California report, Pacific Gas and Electric filed a report to state utility regulators last week, saying investigators placed caution tape around a PG&E transmission pole near Oxbow Reservoir, where the fire started. But the utility company says it hadn't observed damage or abnormal conditions on that pole. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection says as of this morning, there are 8,851 firefighters making progress on 12 major wildfires and three extended attack wildfires throughout California. Since the beginning of the year, over 300,000 acres have burned in California. And now the focus intensifies on Northern California, which is at high risk for lightning in the eastern areas. This threat, combined with critically dry fuels and breezy southwest winds, has the state's firefighting department keeping close tabs on the region. In today's statewide fire summary, the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection says California remains dry and ripe for wildfires. Mark your calendars and have an alternate route in mind. Saturday, September 17th, Idaho-Maryland Road between Sutton Avenue and Brunswick Road will be fully closed for the South Yuba River Citizens League River Cleanup. The road closure begins at 8 a.m. and ends at 12 p.m. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 59. Tuesday, partly sunny, then gradually becoming blue skies with a high near 77. Current air quality is very unhealthy, teetering into the hazardous range with an AQI of 294. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 45, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., and widespread haze Tuesday morning after 5 a.m. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 70, widespread haze before 3 p.m., and areas of smoke after 3 p.m. The current air quality is hazardous, with an AQI over 700. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 61. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 83. Current air quality is moderate, with an AQI around 90. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. After a week of temperatures hovering around 100 degrees, Foothill residents awoke today to something shocking, rain. 
KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller speaks with National Weather Service meteorologist Corey Miller about this dramatic weather change and what's to come. Corey, where did that moisture come from that gave us that delightful little sprinkle this morning? The moisture came from former Tropical System K. That's down south off Southern California. It affected Southern California over the weekend. And that moisture blew up north, and then that was able to blow in. That high-pressure system that affected us all of last week, if that had been here, that moisture from K never would have blown in. What moved that high-pressure system away from us? We saw systems push into the Pacific Northwest, and that helped to break down the ridge of high pressure and helped to move it to the east. Systems in the Pacific Northwest, in other words, storms over the Gulf of Alaska. Yeah, dropping down into uh, the Pacific Northwest. Along with that moisture came much cooler temperatures. Are those also coming from the air from uh, the Gulf of Alaska and the Pacific Northwest? Those systems helped to bring onshore winds and cooler temperatures and also helped to push the ridge that brought the heat off to the east and is bringing some relief from the heat. There is a rhythm to the smoke. It blows in at night, it's here in the morning, and then it blows out during the day. What's causing that rhythm? When we don't have a weather system creating stronger winds, especially in the higher elevations, you get downslope winds at night, so winds blowing from the east to the west, and then during the day you have the opposite effect. You have winds blowing upslope from the west to the east, and that is helping to move the smoke Warm air rises. When the warm air rises during the day, it blows winds upslope, and that's blowing the smoke away from us. But at night, cool air sinks. That gives us downslope winds blowing the smoke towards us. Did I oversimplify there? No, that's a great explanation of what's happening with the winds and the smoke. What can we expect for the rest of the week? We can actually expect continued cooling temperatures, and we'll actually see very pleasant temperatures by Wednesday. They'll be quite a bit below normal for this time of year. In the Grass Valley area, looking at temperatures in the lower 70s. We can thank again that air from the Pacific Northwest for those cool, cold temperatures. Yes, definitely. Looking a bit farther into the future, should we expect some warm air again? It's really uh, tough to say at this stage. Uh, We really don't look out more than uh, seven to 10 days here at the Weather Service. You know, the potential's there. I don't see anything in the near future of a big warm-up. Looks like we'll continue to see cooler temperatures this week and then, you know, maybe seasonal temperatures returning for the weekend and next week. But hopefully no more major warm-ups. I think we're all done with the heat and summer-like weather. That's really good news. As far as fighting the fire, can we hope that we don't get any strong winds? Is there any way to look forward to that? When it comes to fire weather conditions, really the next week, things are looking really good for that. We're not expecting any sort of high fire weather events. Winds don't look too terribly strong throughout the week. And we are expecting higher humidity for much of this week, which is great news for fire weather conditions. Sounds really good. Corey, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It was good talking to you. I'm speaking with Corey Miller of the National Weather Service for KVMR. I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Monday, September 12. Visit us online at kvmr.org and on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR appreciates support from listeners like you and the Auburn Symphony and Art in the Park, presenting New Horizons Saturday, September 17th, 7 p.m., an outdoor event at the Auburn School Park Reserve. 
performing a variety of composers including Strauss, Gershwin, Bernstein, and Smith Key. Information AuburnSymphony.com and Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.